My prayer this morning was that God would somehow give us a piece of bread that could somehow minister to the need of every heart that is here today. I don't know you, and I don't know your needs. I don't think I know my own all that well, but God does. And I'm thankful that in a service such as this, that God is so able by his Holy Spirit to take the same piece of bread and minister so effectively to the heart of each one that is here. I'd like to make one clarification. When I spoke a few minutes ago, I wanted to initially mention that the work that, yes, we've spent some time with in the past years, we've certainly had various levels of involvement, but it's not our work. It's not about us. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, he looks for hands and he looks for feet. He looks for instruments that can work in cooperation with him. But this morning, once again, I give all glory to the great builder of the church for what he is doing. I ask permission to be a little non-traditional this morning because perhaps since it's Easter morning, you are thinking there will be a traditional Easter message. And what the Lord has forcefully laid on my heart certainly relates with that, with Easter and all that surrounds it, maybe not quite as direct. But Romans 6.4 says that the same way, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. Now that sounds to me like something that is ongoing. It happens, it starts, but it's a continuing work. The message today, the burden of the message today, has to do with uh, the setting that we were in in our Sunday school. And I was blessed with the, not only the, uh, the, the Sunday school lesson, but the fact that I didn't know where you were studying. And the message today fits right into the framework of our study this morning. Beginning with, of course, the supper and the washing of the feet. And then the progression of suffering ending up with death and then the resurrection. And so I asked the question, so what is all of this to look like? So we think about these things, especially not only today, but you just celebrated the communion last Sunday, I think. And so you, you thought about these things and you talked about them and yes, you, you celebrated the remembrance of what Jesus has done and is doing and yes, will do. And so today, the burden of the message is, what do these things look like? How do they translate into life from, from last Sunday until 
six months from now, and beyond. What does all of this look like in life? That's the burden of the message today. I'm thinking of a service in Bangladesh. And we were there in a second-story building, and we had a baptism followed with a communion service, followed with feet washing with Muslims and Hindus, background believers that had come together with a clear testimony and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I had the opportunity that day not only to assist with the baptism of some new believers, but also to wash feet with Muslims and Hindu people that had come to faith in Jesus Christ. What a tremendous blessing. And one of the leaders was a Jamaati. He was converted years ago. He had come to the, uh, to the English studies with the idea, with the agenda that he was going to convert the Christians to Islam. He was Jamaat. He was radical. He was sharp. He had memorized the Quran as a boy. He could refer to anything in the Quran. He just knew it. He was like an evangelist. And the time came when he said, I believe that you have the truth. And he was miraculously converted and baptized. He's very influential in Bangladesh. But my point is, as he sat through this service, I think maybe it was the first that he had witnessed, especially in this case, the feet washing. Uh, so interesting. These people with different color skin, they scrambled to wash the foot of a white man. They only got to wash one when they came to me, and that raised some new discussion. But at any rate, as he considered, he sat back, and then he said this. He said, this is so simple and yet so profound, meaningful. It just got to his heart. This morning, the message with that little introduction is simply entitled, a people of the towel. People of the towel. <clears throat> Thank you, Norman, for reading this scripture. And I'm going to begin here. There are two passages of scripture that I'll be referencing today, among others. The one being Mark 9, where we just came from. And the other one, of course, John chapter 13, which you probably just heard about last Sunday. And that's okay. We can hear about it to get again today. And I'm not going to be reading their particular, but we're going to be referencing that. In our setting today, Jesus is with his disciples in Mark 9. He's walking with them, and he's teaching them, which is very common. Jesus, as he walked with his followers, he gave them illustrations that they could relate to. For example, at one point, as Jesus was walking and there was some discussion going on with the, the disciples and they needed, uh, like we all do, a little help to understand more perfectly and Jesus reaches somewhere and he, he comes with a corn of wheat in his hand. And he shows it to the disciples and he says, children, <laughs> don't know if that's what he said, but he said, this corn of wheat 
unless this corn of wheat falls into the ground and it dies, it abides alone. It's still here. But if it falls into the ground and it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Think about that illustration in relation to what we just read in Mark 9. Jesus is talking with the disciples as he is walking with them, and he explains to them what's going to happen with him. He says to them, I am going to suffer, and ultimately, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again on the third day. Do you get the, the parallel here? The, the corn of wheat, yes, falling into the ground, dying and coming forth. Jesus alive, comes out, and it's the life of the church, is it not? Newness of life. Yes, the illustration is there. And then Jesus goes on in this very same context to help us understand how that all works. And he uses the example of a child. And he says, this is what, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Illustrates with a the child there on his lap. And I notice with interest that if we were to study this tremendous idea of the towel and being a servant in context of Mark 9, we would notice in the very beginning of this passage the transfiguration. You, you probably saw it there. And how, how servanthood or this idea of being people of the towel, being servants, relates to being changed, the, the transfiguration. And then we go on through that, um, uh, through, through the chapter there, and we have the idea of spiritual strength, and, and we could, we're not going to enlarge there, and understanding the kingdom like a child, and then Eternal values on toward the end of, of the chapter, the cup of cold water and all of that, all relates to this tremendous idea of servanthood, does it not? <clears throat> Coming now, and just making reference as we go along here to John chapter 13. And I'd like to just insert here that the things that Jesus exemplified and demonstrated here are certainly a ministry of the church today, are they not? Yes, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But uh, in John and chapter 13, paraphrasing now, it's supper time. It's dark. It's the end of the day. It's a pivotal moment for Jesus and his disciples. It's the final night of his earthly ministry. The reality of being the lamb slain from the foundation of the world rests squarely on Jesus' shoulders. He had been about the Father's business, and he had faithfully completed that to this point. He's in agony his heart is bursting for the world he's about to die for. He's with his disciples, and in the final moments that he has with them, he does this 
great exemplification of what it means to be a servant. Within 24 hours, he would be betrayed with a kiss. He would fall into the hands of rough Roman soldiers and others that hated him. He would go to the cross and he would die there. He had taught by example the heart of a servant in his life and in his ministry. And now at this strategic time, he exemplifies servanthood right in the shadow of the fulfillment of our redemption. And I want us to think about that, keep that in the back of our minds. <clears throat> I have with me this morning a towel. And we're talking about becoming people or people of the towel. A towel is simply a knotted cloth. At least that's the definition, one of the definitions. It's actually a slave's apron, is it not? It's just a simple towel. I look at you this morning, and you all look so clean. Um, pretty sparky, actually. And from my vantage point here, not only do you look clean, but I don't smell anything that says that you're not that way. But you know what a towel is an amazing servant. And I'm going to be illustrating today with this simple towel. I'm going to assume that probably all of us, at least most of us, have utilized this wonderful servant this morning before you came to church. Am I right? Probably so. A towel is an amazing thing. And I'm going to assume that back home in your bathroom right now, there is this amazing servant that had gotten wet and maybe a little dirty this morning is probably hanging on a peg or on a bar. And it's either that or it was hurled into a hamper somewhere waiting to be grueled tomorrow morning by a wash machine or taken to the cleaners in some way. And it's there because you used it and you got dry and clean at the expense of the servant getting wet and smelly. All right? It all transfers. You have the picture now. Now, when you use that towel this morning for that purpose, I am going to say that the towel did not object. You could step on it. You could wipe with it. You could blow your nose in it. You could do anything you wanted to that servant. And it's patiently there on the peg where you left it or in the hamper you put next assignment people of the towel. Now, we want to be looking at seven points, and I know a message is only to have three, but I'm going to use seven this morning. And by the way, I find some words on my towel. They, they are components that make up the servanthood of this wonderful piece 
that we use so often, people of the towel. And you're going to notice that the words that I have here, and I don't know if you can see it in the back, but it's a little acrostic, and on the side here, it's the word servant, S-E-R-V-A-N-T. Now, I'm going to look at these points individually to help us understand the dynamic of the towel and, and how these ideas are to translate to brotherhood. What this looks like in life. It doesn't just happen at communion time. Yes, we get down beside the bucket and we wash feet. But the meaning of that service is to live on, is it not? Yes. Let's just look briefly at these seven points. The first one that you saw there is sacrifice. Sacrifice. <clears throat> John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. That sounds like sacrifice, does it not? We talked about that this morning. Imagine with me just a little bit what that may have looked like. And I don't know. I'm only in my mind attempting to get a picture in heaven here. But maybe, maybe the father to the son says something like this. Son, I so loved the people that are gathered at Weavertown this morning and all other places. I promised I would give you so they can have life. And son, here's how it's going to work. It's going to start in the womb of a virgin. And from there, you're going to be born in a barn. We had the opportunity to sleep in one of those in Iraq. And I told them that we're not having a baby tonight like Joseph and Mary, so it was okay. Leave that story. I can't go there. But you're going to be laid in a manger. You're going to grow up in the midst of a Yes, crooked and perverse nation, as other scriptures talk about it. You're going to be loved by some, and you're going to be hated by others. You're going to invest time and energy in your close followers, known as the disciples. Some things they will understand, and some things they won't. <clears throat> the people that you came to save... Some will receive you, some won't, some will reject you. And son, in the process of all of this, they're going to scourge you. They're going to spit in your face. Sounds like some of the things we talked about with this towel. And they're going to misuse you. They're going to rip out the hairs of your beard. They're going to falsely accuse you. You're going to be nailed to a cross like a criminal and left to die. And then maybe God says to his son, a son, one more thing. I'm going to look the other way so you can die. The reality is here. Jesus knows that that moment is very close. And with all of that on his shoulders, just before he goes to the cross, he lays aside his own garment. Make application here. 
he laid aside his own garment and he took the towel, he girded himself and he gets down beside that bucket, that basin to wash the disciples' feet. Sacrifice means getting my towel wet and smelly and yes, dirty at the expense of others. In this case, my brother, this level of servanthood is indispensable. Jesus said, without washing, you have no part with me. <clears throat> Jesus had defined what a living sacrifice looks like. And we could go to Romans 12 and just look a little bit more at that dynamic for the church today. I invite you to simply study that for yourself. Time won't allow us to go there. Functioning as members of a body and all that goes with it there in Romans 12 helps us to understand what sacrifice looks like in the use of the towel. Let's go to the second one. The second word is empathy. Empathy <clears throat> simply means compassion, identification, or the feel of the moccasin of another. Perhaps someone by your side has just returned from a graveside. Perhaps a brother behind you or in front of you has suffered a loss. Perhaps as you get down beside the bucket and take that foot into your hand, you feel a sore on the bottom. There's been a gravel stone there that's caused a wound. In this case, Jesus' heart was bursting for those that were closest to him, his disciples. I can just, I, I can just feel the empathy that was welling up within him as he gets down beside the bucket. It had been his pattern in life and ministry. And, and, and to people as a whole, as Jesus saw the crowds, he saw the hungry, he saw the blind, he saw those that had been chained. <clears throat> he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He saw them as people with need. In Luke 4 and verse 14 through 21, we could read with prophet here once again. I, uh, I'm not going to take the time. Perhaps you jot this in your note and study it out. But Jesus is in Nazareth. He goes into the synagogue and there is handed to him the book of Isaiah the prophet. And he stands up for to read in the place where he read, yes, Isaiah 61. And in my own words, it's the setting there where Jesus said, my purpose is to heal the brokenhearted, to bring sight to the blind. Yes, to bring healing to those that are bruised and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I'm, I'm sorry I'm not reading that direct from script here. But you look that up once again. And I asked the question this morning. So as it pertains to us. Now Jesus fulfilled that, did he not? That's what he did. But is there an ongoing ministry for the church to do these things as well? I would submit that there is. If we were to go on into the book of Acts, we would see how the disciples carried forward 
Peter and John there and, and the lame man and so on. It, it happened there. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14 through 20, <clears throat> it talks there about in that Jesus dying, he died for all. Because all are dead. And it, it talks about the, the ministry of reconciliation that is given to the church. The same way that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, but, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, as a church, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's tremendous. There is a ministry for the church ongoing. Jesus loved unto the end. We must look at the next point. The next fabric in this towel is redemptive. Redemptive. And many of these have similar ideas. Redemptive is to rescue, to deliver, to release, to unshackle. Having the best interest of another in mind. The towel becomes a literal application of that, does it not? <clears throat> In John, 1 John 3, another one of the three sixteens, 1 John 3, 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That sounds redemptive, does it not? And it is, yes. There's a beautiful demonstration of another type of feet washing, and the towel in this case was hair and not a towel like this. But that story is in Luke 7 and verse 36 through 48. Once again, I'm going to give that to you as your assignment to read and study this. But it's the occasion there where Jesus is in Simon's house. And the woman comes there. She is, yes, a sinner. And she has this box of alabaster, it says. And she comes in. And she comes from behind. And she goes to Jesus' feet. She's washing his feet with her tears and wiping them with the hairs of her head. Some really major cultural violations here. Majorly, she should not have her hair down and be wiping the feet of a man, for sure not. And Simon is watching Jesus, and he is saying, Jesus, if you knew who was touching you and Jesus said Simon I have somewhat to say to you I came to your house and you didn't give me water to wash my feet this woman that you are accusing since the time she came has not ceased to wash my feet with tears and to wipe them with the hairs of her head and she anointed his feet but the beautiful words here and we should look this up and read it some of the most beautiful words recorded in Scripture. Jesus turned to the woman and he said, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven her. That sounds like release. That's redemptive. 
I'm going to suggest today that the call of the church is to understand the struggle, the things that our brother is dealing with, things that are on his heart. And as we stoop and wash those feet, not only at communion time, but Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, he uncovers his walk of life and the towel of redemption is used to help him find freedom. It's the call of the church. The servant has the eternal welfare of others in focus. The use of the towel is to be redemptive. Let's look at another. We have a, a word that begins with V. It's vindicate. Vindicate. It has something of the same idea. Let's look at it more carefully. To clear, to pardon, to acquit. <clears throat> Jesus' heart, I'm sure, was bleeding as he gets down and Judas comes to have his feet washed Soon, 30 pieces of silver would be the price of the blood of two men, both Judas and Jesus. Very soon, the disciples would sleep while Jesus prayed. Very soon, they would run while he was being arrested. Very soon, they would follow afar off. And also, very soon, those that were so strong and said, Lord, it doesn't matter what happens to you, though everybody runs away, we won't. Don't worry, we're going to be right there. And yet we know what happened so soon. The true servant looks for ways to bring others to experience what forgiveness, release, and mercy looks like and how it works. I'm thinking of the simple testimony of a man in Bangladesh, and I must tell you his little story. But there was an older man that had come to faith in Christ, and he wanted to be baptized, which we didn't accomplish at the time. But I wanted to go meet this man. It was dangerous. He was in kind of a strategic spot, and Amon, the man I had just spoken with here, said, one day when the climate is right, we'll run to see this man. I said, okay. One day he called and he said, we will go see Brother T. I said, okay. He said, meet me down here at a certain place. I can't come to your house because I'll be suspect. I said, I'll be there. And I come there and he has this little Honda. I get on the back and we go out, out of... Uh, of um, Najipur, and we go out across the river where the animus people hang their clothes in, in the tree branches, and, and we cross the river, and we go on out. And, and the story is that this man who had come to faith in Christ was lying on his bed, and he was paralyzed. He was not well when he became converted. And this is what I'm expecting to find, this man lying on his cot. And we go out there, and suddenly, Amon, he looks over his shoulder, and he says, there he is. We were on the road, on a little cycle. And there beside the road is this man that I expected to find lying on a cot. 
he's walking with a stick. We pull off beside the road, and I say, this is a good spot. It's public. Nobody will suspect. And it happened that there was a little creek going underneath the road and some concrete on each side, and we stopped there, and I sat down beside this brother. I began to talk with him. It's the first time I met him. And I said, tell me your story. What happened with you? How did you come to believe in Christ? And he, he started to talk, and this was through a translator, and suddenly he's crying. He's crying. He's sobbing. And I thought, maybe I, maybe I said something wrong. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I offended him or something. I put my arm around his shoulder, and he's crying. And then he says, here's my story. He said, when I came to faith in Jesus, I, I, I became free inside he said, my heart became, he was vindicated, yes. My heart became free. I got released. And he was talking, and then he said, but, but I was on my bed. I was paralyzed. I couldn't walk. And then he said, it occurred to me, and I began to think, this man that can heal my heart, and he can give me freedom and peace in my heart, why can he not also heal my body? So I asked him, and he did. The man was off of it. He wasn't doing cartwheels or running, but he was walking beside the road with a stick. He was so happy. His faith in Jesus was so real. What a blessing. Freedom. Well, we need to look at just a few more ideas. There are three more. The word agonize comes next. I'm sorry, I kind of go to the other side here. Maybe you can't see. I'll do this. All right. Agonize. Also an idea that is closely related. Has to do with struggle. To wrestle with the good of another. To wrestle with the good of another. You think about that when you get beside the bucket and you take the towel to wash, yes, the feet of our brother. <clears throat> At this particular time, Jesus was occupied with the weighty matters of eternity. It wasn't fair. He was about to die. He was sinless. It wasn't his fault. The towel may object. When you pick it up to transmit that dirt and water and whatever you wipe from yourself to the towel, it could say, it's not my fault. I wasn't involved. It's not fair that you wipe your dirt on me and throw me into a wash machine and all of that. But Jesus was agonizing. He was struggling with many things. After all, as he gets down beside the bucket, I already mentioned Judas, the betrayer, and Jesus washes his feet. He's agonizing. Peter comes next, the denier, he gets his feet washed. And then there's the sons of thunder, James and John. This must have been quite a bunch. I don't know what they were all like, but sometimes we have the idea that Jesus' close followers were these docile men that got along so well and, and they were just followed nicely, you know, like sheep behind a shepherd and everything. Well, maybe it wasn't quite all that way. Maybe with them it was a little bit like church life. I don't know. And then there was the doubter, Thomas. 
He said, um, no, no, I, I, not, I, I don't believe that. You know, I mean, this, maybe, maybe we, maybe. Now, maybe it's not that way here at Weavertown, but, but in Virginia, you know, we, we sometimes these things happen. And we asked the question, so could anything be more important at this strategic time in Jesus' ministry than what was about to happen on the cross? And the answer is yes. The feet of the disciples needed to be washed first. Notice the correlation between the towel and our ultimate redemption. They go so close together. The purpose of the towel. The towel has so much to do with the spiritual welfare of all of us involved. It really does. Agonize. Let's look at another word. It is time to close. The word nevertheless. Nevertheless. Very important idea. Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not. Nevertheless. Nevertheless, the mob shouted, away with this man, give us a murder in his place. Nevertheless, Judas would sell his master for a few shekels. Peter would wilt before a young girl at the fire as the rooster cried. Jesus sees him out there. Maybe he said, Nevertheless, Peter, nevertheless, nonetheless. And the list could go on. There's the undeserving, rejecting world. Would my investment really mean that much? Would it? Nevertheless, nevertheless. I would like to just rivet that idea in our minds as we wash feet. As we utilize this wonderful servant, the towel, nevertheless, so very important. There's one more, <clears throat> and that's the word tractability. Simply means humility, submissiveness, yielding, amenable, open, pliable, and so on. <clears throat> I've never tried it, but I'm going to suggest that feet washing doesn't work well with socks on. What do you think? It's better to take them off. Let's remove our socks. Let's just have our walk of life right out in the open with our brother. Does that make sense? I think so. Feet with socks on don't wash well. <clears throat> Wet socks don't feel good either. I've had that experience too. Transparency in our conversation contributes so much to peace with myself, with God, and with others. Yes, it does. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he not only lowered himself to their level, but he lifted them to his we have the ability to lift men to his level by getting down on theirs. First Corinthians 4, 7 says, So what do I have anyway that I haven't received? I don't. 
We are never more like Jesus than when we are serving others. Luke 6 and verse 40, the disciple is not above his master, but let everyone that is perfect, I'm sorry, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. When we humble ourselves and assume the position of a slave before others, we demonstrate true Christ-likeness. I suppose I should give the bottom line like Aaron would say. So what is the bottom line? I'm simply going to conclude with this, these words from John 14 and verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. He it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And listen to this promise. And I will love him. I will love them. And I will manifest myself to them. Would you kneel for prayer? <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the meaning of the towel, for the tremendous example that you have given to us. How that you, on this strategic timing, knelt down beside the basin and took that wonderful servant, demonstrated to us exactly how it's to work. I pray, Lord, that there would be such an heart in us that we would uh, be able to utilize your tremendous example and the towel as a, um, as a means to strengthen and build brotherhood and each other's lives. I pray, Lord, that you would bless this congregation as they serve you here in this community, enable them to be a light and to burn brightly for you and to exemplify what it means to have risen with you and to walk with you in life on a daily basis. We commit, Lord, this, these few words that have been spoken and pray that you would bring them to our hearts in a way that would accomplish your will in our lives. We give you our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.